In the second part of our series, we're going to be talking with my colleague, Oliver Spurgeon, a senior government relations director in our government relations practice group in Washington, DC. Oliver has been following the healthcare elements of the CARES Act, as well as other legislation coming out very, very closely. Oliver, let me go to you now in part two with my first question to you. Uh, first of all, you may wanna add to um, uh, what Douglas was telling us uh, with regard to the strain on hospitals. Uh, and perhaps in addition, you could discuss some of the investments that the CARES Act is making to ensure that we still have a strong and talented workforce. Yeah, so thanks so much for um, kind of opening the door to that. And this bill really was designed to kind of inject money into the healthcare system and support for the healthcare workforce as quickly as possible or frankly, as quickly uh, as Congress can move. And that tends to be pretty slow. Uh, in addition to providing those accelerated payments uh, for Medicare, uh, one of the things that Congress actually did was to temporarily remove the 2% Medicare sequester. And so if you guys wanna travel back in time a little bit, you guys remember the super committee from about eight or 10 years ago, uh, when Congress tried to kind of balance the budget in one of these large appropriations bills and failed, uh, they then had to cut uh, percentage of federal spending going forward for a number of years. Medicare spending was actually part of that cut. And so it was a 2% cut uh, for every dollar that Medicare spends going forward. Uh, they're now temporarily suspending that to ensure that hospitals around the country can have a larger reimbursement as they grapple with the cost related to providing care uh, related to the coronavirus epidemic. So it's a good thing. Congress is being pretty smart and pretty inventive uh, about the ways that they're delivering money uh, to the healthcare system and trying to be pretty uh, kind of flexible in a way that they traditionally haven't been. There've been some pretty broad scale calls in the past to end the sequester across the spectrum, not just when it comes to healthcare spending. And Congress has really rebuffed those efforts. And so it's good to see that they're stepping up in the wake of an emergency. Some of the other really inventive things that they've done to support the healthcare workforce and safety net. Uh, Doug mentioned funding for federally qualified health centers and talking about expanded access to telehealth services. Uh, those community health centers, as they're, as they're also known, also have a big pot of money in terms of a federal grant that they get every year. And that grant is actually slated to lapse on May 22nd. And so a number of health centers around the country were saying that, hey, we're really concerned about our financial future. Uh, and at the same time, having to provide care to so many more patients who need to be tested and are concerned that they may have coronavirus. And so Congress, in their infinite wisdom, said, you know what, it doesn't make sense for community health centers to struggle with this uncertainty with regards to their funding, while they're also dealing with a sudden surge in patients due to coronavirus. And so Congress actually extended funding for that grant for community health centers, and then also for a couple of other public health programs, one, which is the National Health Service Corps, which provides scholarships and loan repayment services uh, to healthcare providers, nurses, doctors, dentists, uh, physician assistants who wanna go practice in areas where there aren't a lot of healthcare providers and who are committed to serving in those communities for a number of years. The National Health Service Corps provides loan forgiveness um, for a certain percentage of <clears throat> their outstanding balances uh, for every year that they serve in those areas. And so uh, the National Health Service Corps was also on that May 22nd timeline as well. 
And then there was one additional program called the Teaching Health Centers Graduate Medical Education Program. Uh, this is a residency program that's specifically designed for training in community health centers, knowing that you know, health centers are designed to treat a certain type of patient in a certain type of community, uh, rather than kind of being uh, specialized in hospital-based medicine. And so uh, each of these programs had that same May 22nd deadline. And Congress really understood that, you know, those folks who are on the front lines that are sort of giving themselves in this emergency and, and in this epidemic, uh, they needed certainty. And those health centers needed certainty and those residents needed certainty too. And so Congress actually extended the grant for all three of those programs uh, to November 20th. And so that was really good news. I've heard some from so many community health centers around the country saying that Congress uh, really did a smart thing. And so instead of worrying about how they're going to get paid or when they're going to get paid, they can really focus on what they need to do best and what they do do best, which is provide care for at-risk populations. And so they're pretty excited to see that as well. Uh, one of the other things that the CARES Act did uh, was th that it tried to really incentivize volunteer healthcare providers to step back into the workforce. And so you may have seen some news articles uh, that mention folks who are retired and haven't practiced in a while. Uh, they're being encouraged to kind of come back and, uh, and in terms of a sort of all hands on deck activity, uh, really come back and give what they can uh, because there's so much need regarding the coronavirus. And so the bill, understanding that some people may have uh, difficulties with their licenses or may maybe be practicing in another state where they're not actually licensed, uh, the previous coronavirus bill kind of <clears throat> massaged those regulations. And then in this bill, uh, they actually allowed for volunteer healthcare providers. Um, they kind of limited the liability for them so that as long as they're providing healthcare services, during the coronavirus epidemic and in their volunteer capacity, and also within the scope of practice or within their license or registration and certification, uh, then the, their liability would be limited as long as it was in good faith that they were treating someone who needed to be treated because of coronavirus. And so that was a really great idea uh, that's going to allow a whole host of healthcare providers who maybe haven't practiced or haven't practiced as frequently as they used to in the past, but still have something to give uh, right now in this epidemic, provides an opportunity for them to step up and give as well. And then the last thing that Congress did regarding the healthcare workforce, uh, there are two great kind of development programs that help kind of bridge the gap to the next generation. Um, and those are the HRSA Title VII and Title VIII workforce programs. The Title VII programs focus on the development, geographic, and ethnic diversity of all of the, all of the preceptor programs. So if you think about nurse practitioners or physician assistants uh, or dentists, uh, the Title VII programs really focus on that. And then the Title VIII program focuses solely on the development of nurses as well. And so once again, you know, those programs are up in the air. And this crisis has really shown that uh, you know, we can invest more in our healthcare workforce and that Congress needs to do so. And so once again, in their infinite wisdom, they extended the funding timelines for both those Title VII preceptor programs and the Title VIII nursing workforce programs through 2025, really making sure that they're committed uh, to making uh, sure that the pipeline is broad for the next generation of nurses, doctors, dentists, physician assistants, et cetera all of the folks who are going to be stepping up uh, when there's the next public health crisis, and some of whom are already stepping up right now. Uh, they wanted to make sure that those folks have an, have an opportunity and that there's a federal commitment to making sure 
that we have the best and most talented and most diverse healthcare workforce possible. So it was really good. You know, frankly, I've heard a lot of positivity about some of the things that Congress put into the bill. I think in terms of going forward, it's going to be a much larger effort trying to expand some of the reimbursement uh, for telehealth on the Medicaid side. We've heard from a couple of entities that are particularly curious and interested about that as well. And so that can be one of the things that Congress focuses on in the next coronavirus package, which will be, as we're kind of calling it, coronavirus four. And so we've heard that AIDS have just kind of gotten back into the room today, and they're beginning to put the next uh, set of nuts and bolts together for what will be the foundation of the fourth coronavirus package. And so we think that's going to focus a lot on um, kind of support and protections for public health workers, because so many of them have been putting themselves in harm's way. And then maybe also supporting uh, health infrastructure as well. So allowing hospitals and healthcare facilities uh, to build out separate facilities, because so many of them have really full patient rooms and examination rooms that are just bursting at the seams. And so those are just two of the ideas that Congress is kind of bouncing back and forth. And so we expect that they're not going to return to vote on the next package until after the April 20th Easter recess. Uh, but until then, you know, we're going to be working closely with aides in both the House and the Senate to make sure that our clients are well represented here in Washington. Well, thank you. That's a lot that came together very quickly uh, in our Congress. And that was a lot of information that you both have had to digest. And, and thank you for that. By the way, you mentioned also additional dollars for Medicaid and Medicare practitioners when we were uh, speaking offline earlier. Um, are, are those uh, issues covered in what you just spoke about? Or do you have some, something to add there? Yeah, so there was kind of one more piece to the pyramid here. We talked about the workforce. We talked about the healthcare safety net. The other thing that Congress really wanted to come back around and help uh, shore up was that so many hospitals and healthcare providers who are enrolled in Medicare and, Medi and Medicaid and provide service to those patients have been taking losses because uh, you know it's taking longer to treat patients. And so as Doug mentioned earlier, uh, the models really built on efficiency. And so because there's been so much lost revenue, either through patients, A, not showing up for pre-scheduled visits or for just losses in revenue because the turnover has been a little slower, uh, Congress actually put together a $100 billion fund with a B. It's $100 billion solely for practitioners in Medicare and in Medicaid. And so uh, the folks over at the Department of Health and Human Services are putting together the stipulations uh, for receiving those grants, uh, but it looks like at a minimum, those grants can be used for a whole host of things, including purchasing supplies, uh, purchasing additional PPE, uh, making renovations to patient examination rooms, and then also resilience and preparation uh, and uh, really performance enhancement related to coronavirus. And so Congress is pretty smart. They didn't put a whole lot of guardrails on that $100 billion, uh, other than to make sure that it's open to most types of uh, Medicaid and Medicare practitioners. So that's very good news. You know, there are dollars and Congress is finally putting uh, their money where their mouth is when it comes to the healthcare safety net and the nation's healthcare infrastructure. Always good news and good news that everything is moving so quickly, although that makes it confusing and a lot to digest. So I, I really appreciate and I know the listeners appreciate both of you joining us today. So Douglas Grimm, 
thank you. And Oliver Spurgeon, thank you. This is Aaron Jacoby, and this has been an Errant Fox podcast. Alerts and other information and resources that will go along with this podcast will be attached as links to this podcast when you see it on the website at errantfox.com. Thank you.